Lucas on Life. Hello, it's Sunday evening. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. This is Lucas on Life, and I'm Jeff Lucas. Let's face it, being a world leader in recent days, it really hasn't been a terribly easy task. Some of our leaders have faced major challenges anyway, just in the Department of Hairdressing. We've had the recently departed Donald Trump, our Boris, and then that chap in North Korea. Personally, I think hairdressers around the world should rise up in protest. But seriously, being a leader, it's been really difficult. It goes without saying. The COVID crisis has been a fast-changing situation with life-or-death decisions needing to be made. There's been a lot of political shouting, whatever you do is wrong. And then being a church leader has been challenging as well because everything has pretty much ground to a halt and yet leaders are as busy as ever behind the scenes. Then whatever decisions they make can be criticised. But it's worse because people feel that their opinion on what should be done is very often God's opinion too. And that makes the shouting even louder. This week on Lucas on Life, the way we treat leaders... Amazing Grace, Simon Brading. And we could do with using some amazing grace when it comes to the way that we treat our leaders. Over the years, and because of the miles I've travelled, I've come in contact with a lot of vicars, priests, elders and pastors. I've met selfless, hard-working souls who pour out their lives for their churches and communities, and I've met lazy ministers who would make a sloth look productive. I bumped into breathtakingly gifted entrepreneurs who would have made millions if they hadn't chosen their vocation, and others who are in the ministry mainly because they can't do anything else too well and actually don't do ministry that well either. I don't mean to be unkind, it's just the truth. I've met servant-hearted types whose ideal night out would be to gird up their loins with a towel, grab a bowl and head for a local foot washing, and power-hungry bullies who need to be taken behind the bike sheds and shown what bullying really looks and feels like. I know. I'm biased because I'm a pastor, and given the choice between engaging with pleasant, encouraging, smiling souls and those carping critics who make piranhas look like tame goldfish, I'd obviously choose the former. But it's worth thinking about why we should be nice to the women and men who lead us for one simple reason. Encouragement takes thought and strategy and shouldn't just happen because it just happens. Years ago, Ian Dury, together with his blockhead friends, sang about reasons to be cheerful. So let's think of a few reasons for being nice to your local leader. First of all, they frequently take the blame for God. It's true. Christian leaders represent God, who is currently invisible and at times seems unavailable, especially when things go horribly wrong in life. When people get angry with God, unfortunately, there's no customer support line to call, so they frequently take out their frustration on the person they most associate with God, which might be their vicar, pastor, leader or priest. Getting slapped on behalf of the Almighty is not a happy experience. If you're mad with God, include a rant in your prayers, because he can cope being God. But our local leaders are not quite as resilient. If we think that they're thick-skinned and can take it on the chin, we're probably wrong. The reason they got into that vocation is often because they're sensitive souls who genuinely care. And being the vicar, when they get mad with God because God's people get mad with them, they have no one to slap. Nobody human, anyway. 
Also, they're required to say some things they'd prefer not to say. The Bible contains some awkward truths, and if your pastor is going to be faithful in preaching, they'll have to deal with some tricky passages on sensitive subjects like divorce, war, adultery, sexuality, and brace yourself for the subject which tends to light the blue touch paper, money. When speaking on these subjects, they're unlikely to please all the people all of the time, which means that they will take some heat. Cool them down with some kindness. When they tackle those controversial issues, they're demonstrating bravery, not bullishness. If they make a statement you disagree with, let it get under your skin, circle your brain, fuel your prayers, and even challenge your heart before you send that vociferous email. Come to think of it, cancel that vociferous email. They're often targets for gossip. In some churches, of course, Christians don't gossip. They share. Right. Under that guise of sharing, you know, please pray for the pastor, he, she is really struggling right now, we can give the impression that the pastor is struggling with faith and is now a fully paid up member of the Humanist Society, struggling with temptation and has opened their own private harem and is struggling with anger against his congregation and is now a serial killer whose crime pattern is striking during the after-church cup of tea while wearing clerical attire. Gossip destroys people. Don't pass it on. Leaders don't have a hotline to God. Some people think that their leaders have a VIP pass to the courts of heaven and begin each day with a happy little chat with God. They don't. They too struggle with doubt, unanswered prayer, and when going through the wilderness times in their faith, they often have to appear more certain than they are, not because they're faking faith, but because it's inappropriate for them to dump their own private struggles on the congregation every Sunday. If you sometimes feel that your prayer life is a struggle, know that they frequently feel the same. These days, I'm more concerned about those who insist that God and they have interference-free conversations than I am about the souls who fear that their connection is patchy at best. Leaders usually don't have a cunning plan for world domination. All right, there are some wolves out there masquerading as shepherds. There are power-hungry, authoritarian, clerical control freaks who would be better at leading a fascist regime than a local congregation. Spiritual abuse does happen, and it's really serious indeed. Some leaders do have a well-proven weapon that efficiently silences anyone with a brain cell who asks awkward questions. They just say that those people are being divisive, an excellent device for manipulation and control. Just call someone divisive. But be aware that the vast majority of leaders are ordinary people, because God only uses ordinary folk, nothing else is available, who are simply doing their best to respond to a vocational call to help people to discover Jesus. So, go ahead, make their day, help them out by being nice. Mercy Me with Greater, and we're reflecting on the way that we treat our leaders perhaps MPs, those in government, but specifically tonight, I'm thinking about church leaders, because during a crisis, theirs is not an easy task. The service had gone well, and I felt that welcome feeling of grateful weariness, the warm glow that comes when you sense, as the leader, that perhaps you've helped people to walk into another day with a few more handfuls of hope. I strolled to the back of the church building, to my book table, ready to pack things away. It was then that I saw it. 
the note was folded exactly in half and stood crisp and upright on the book table, militarily demanding attention. My name was scrawled in an angry address across the front of it. Something told me that this was not an epistle of warm appreciation. I was right. A familiar dread turned my stomach to lead as I reluctantly unfolded the note, its creases razor sharp, its content razor sharp. I had obviously angered somebody in the congregation who was certainly not used to the approach that I take to preaching. I love humour, but not all Christians share my desire to smile, and neither, I suppose, do they have to. It's just a shame that some of them become the joyless police, eager to arrest anyone who might possibly be having a tiny bit more fun than they are, which isn't hard. I'm personally committed to the idea that fun is not something that should be reserved for after death for Christians and kept a million miles from biblical preaching. The writers of the note vehemently disagreed. Their scribble was like a lurid scar on paper. It screamed their indignant protest. Would you, my dear and inquisitive listener, like to hear the contents of the note? OK, brace yourself. Here it comes. It said, Sir... We would see Jesus, not your comedy act and nonsensical gibberish. You can't win souls to Jesus with all that rubbish. You are not a preacher, you're a comedian. You have missed your calling. It was unsigned. This terminal diagnosis concerning me was unsigned. This person or persons who had felt constrained to announce my utter worthlessness had not chosen to reveal their identity. I folded the note back in half, my heart heavy within my chest. I do know what I'm called to do, and I've been around long enough to know that not everyone is going to like it, or like me. The privilege and responsibility of leadership carries with it the unwelcome moments when we will feel the bitter sting of criticism. But this wildly scrawled note had the effect of a missile on my own sense of hope, blowing my joy to smithereens. I stood there and wondered about what kind of person could be so hateful in Jesus' name. And suddenly, I just wanted to not be a Christian leader anymore. In fact, for a second or two, I even wished that I wasn't a Christian, seeing as these so-called friends of God were such accomplished verbal assassins. Fortunately, my hankering for atheism only lasted a few seconds before logic rebooted in my brain. It's never enjoyable to be criticised, particularly when it comes wrapped in the cowardly garb of an anonymous letter, an envelope stuffed with verbal barbed wire. These days, if a letter comes unsigned, I try not to give it undeserved dignity and attention by reading it. If the person who wrote the letter does not have the moral backbone to sign it, then why should I trouble myself reading the fruit of their spineless lack of conviction? But hold on. Are there times when we leaders are criticised and too quickly rush to conclude that our critics are just fools, write off our critics too quickly, and we could be ignoring an unwelcome gift of God to us? Visionary leaders often find it very difficult to receive even the most constructive criticism. Blinded by our passion to follow what we perceive is a God-given mandate, we brush off words of caution and correction as being born of a lack of faith, or worse, we gleefully suggest that our critics are speaking as unwitting agents of Satan. Surely we conclude if we, like the Blues Brothers, are on a mission from God, then any voice that challenges that mission must find its source from the pit below. 
With simplistic naivety, some leaders determine that God has spoken, and so any contrary voice must come from the devil, who loves to distract, conveniently forgetting that the prophetic must be weighed, and that honest, rugged, healthy debate, and even disagreement, is an essential part of that process. We then move to the place where anyone who speaks with a dissenting voice themselves becomes the enemy, even though they may be actually expressing the true faithfulness and commitment that only comes from the best of friends. The problem is further compounded if the criticism comes in the high-pitched messiness of an unhelpful attitude. The critic is angry, upset, maybe even spiteful. And so we conclude from the way that the message is delivered that therefore the message itself must be wrong, which is like ignoring a letter because the envelope is torn. And so we stumble on, convinced of our own rightness, now infallible leaders who can't even be corrected by the ultimate authority of Scripture. Deception has begun its winsome, seductive dance with us. We get even deeper in the fog when we endeavour to use the issue of local church unity as a weapon to silence dissent. As I mentioned earlier, we brand anyone who asks a question as awkward, or worse still, as an agent of division. I am staggered by the way that some Christian leaders sometimes describe those who have left the churches that they lead. God is just purifying the body, they affirm with a smug smile, branding the departing people as dross. The worst example of this in my memory was a leader who wrote off some people that had left the church with the words, well, of course every healthy body needs a bowel movement once in a while. That was an arrogant, devastating belittling of people. It was outrageous. So let's face it, none of us enjoy criticism, and there are many times when criticism is unjust, hurtful, and a slap in the face for the already weary leader. Some leaders react as they do to criticism because they're just so punch-drunk, so shattered from the years of so-called friendly fire that they just can't take it anymore. I still encourage you to ignore unsigned letters if you're a leader, as long as you've not created a culture in your church where people are too scared to identify themselves with even the most constructive criticism. But whoever you are, listening tonight, leader or not, let's all of us be careful about labelling our next critic a fool too quickly. He or she could turn out to be the most faithful friend that you have. And again, during this challenging time of crisis, we might need to disagree. We might need to criticise. But let's not forget to be kind and bring encouragement. Rise from Danny Goki. As we've been considering how we respond and sometimes react to our leaders, I'm reminded of two conversations that I've had in the last 24 hours. One was with a really close friend where I had to bring some pretty strong words of, yes, correction, Helpfully, he's given me permission to speak into his life and the permission has been extended back to him regarding me. Faithful friends will sometimes bring words that we don't want to hear. But then I'm also reminded of another conversation just yesterday where a lady came up to me. I hadn't spoken to her for some years because ours is a large church, but she just reminded me of a moment three years ago when I prayed for her as she was about to go into a course of rehab. Three years later, she is clean and free, but so helpfully, so kindly, she came back to thank me for just a moment of shared prayer. Let's be thoughtful, careful, 
proactive, not just with our leaders, but with each other, especially during this time when there is so much discouragement, to bring a word of encouragement, a smile that will warm the heart and who knows, cheer the day. See you next time. Lucas on Life.